Sensational stop by Sparty. Interception by Angelo Gross. The first touch is for Kenneth Walker. And a breakaway down on the far sideline. And Kenneth Walker will take it to the house. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Now for your host, Nathan Stearns. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the basement of Holden Hall. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, joined alongside by my good friend and colleague, Aiden Champion, our other good friend and colleague, Zach Serdnick. Wasn't feeling well today, was feeling a little under the weather, so we will trudge on without him. Aiden, you're going to have to speak a little bit more this episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I fully prepared myself for that, uh, but you know what? I'm all right with that. got to... Gotta get out of your comfort zone sometimes, especially in this profession. This is, of course, Spartan Red Zone on October 20th. I was about ready to say October 3rd. Oh my God, we're there at Halloween already, but no, no, we're not. Michigan State 7 0, and what was, in my opinion, one of the ugliest wins that I have ever seen in any capacity whatsoever. Spartans beat Indiana 20 15. Indiana without star cornerback Taiwan Molin and star quarterback Michael Penix who missed the game due to a separated shoulder and an AC joint issue with that win Michigan State the only team in the Big Ten East and all of the Big Ten with a 4-0 record in conference play the Spartans now with four road wins on the season three conference road wins they did all of this despite having 57 total yards of offense in the first half it's the first time MSU hasn't scored more than 23 points in a game this year Aiden I have no idea how they won that game yeah, I mean, I don't really either, but, you know, you made a good point to me after the game on Saturday um, and that you said average teams don't win that game. And I think this this win does say a lot about this team, the fact that they can play their worst performance of the season and still find a way to win on the road in the Big Ten, no matter who you're playing. That, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good win. I mean, no, it – it was an ugly win in terms of performance, but you know, to get their seventh win, it also, it was a change of pace. Obviously the, a much reliable offense that we're used to seeing didn't show up. And this time it was the defense that really won the game for MSU. Um, with that said, I, you know, I'm, I'm not too concerned about this win. Uh, because we know that this offense, what this offense is capable of, and we know that you know it's going to show up when it needs to. Kenneth Walker has 23 carries, 84 yards. He's now three yards short of 1,000 rushing yards on the season. 737 of those rushing yards have come after contact. Also second in the country with 62 missed tackles for uh, force this year. This was really, I think, the first time you could say Peyton Thorne looked mortal this year 14 to 26 126 yards what or 14 to 26 excuse me 126 yards one score two interceptions including a bonehead interception right after Michigan State and Chester Kimbrough forced a fumble and recovered Jalen Naylor's mortal four catches for 22 yards it was the ugliest game I think from beginning to end that Michigan State played on offense but 
You know, as Aiden said, and as I told him after the game, if you have a team that they're like Michigan State's high barometer, they could afford to drop down about 30 or 40 notches, and they still found a way to win. If their baseline is two or three notches above Indiana's baseline, and then they play like that, they don't win that game. It was really interesting, at least for me, talking to Xavier Henderson in the postgame talk, he was saying, we've heard so much about the offense. It's all been about Kenneth Walker. It's just all been about Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed. That's not what he said um, verbatim, but it was something along the lines of, we need to highlight ourselves. People need to understand the fact that this isn't just a high-flying offense that's going to go for 360-plus-yard touchdowns as they did against Rutgers. And boy, did Michigan State deliver. It's that red zone defense, that bend-but-don't-break defense that we talk about time and time and time again. Indiana forced to kick three red zone field goals in the first half. And I remember telling you and telling Zach at halftime, if Indiana can't win that game, that's what's going to doom them. You are in the red zone three times in the first half, and you come away with nine points. You can't beat teams like that. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the – if you want to be optimistic and take a positive away from this, it's that the the defense was highlighted in this game, and that's you know something we've been looking for, we've been waiting for uh, throughout this season, and finally it was the defense that needed to step up, and they did. They, you know, the first half defensively wasn't great, um, especially the first quarter. They need to stop giving up these long drives to start these games. It's just, I can't stand watching it. Um, but, you know, the the defense did come up big, and, you know, kudos to them because otherwise that game, that's going in Indiana's favor. Yeah, they give up a lot of yards. Like I don't have the metric in front of me, but I remember reading before that Indiana game, they were the only team in the, in the Big Ten that was allowing over 300 passing yards on average per game. But it's not showing up. I mean, you still only allowed 21 points to Northwestern and 20 points to Nebraska and 17 points to Miami and 31 to Western Kentucky, which anybody who watches Western Kentucky will tell you that's just a whole home day at the office. But story of that game, penalties, 12 penalties, 134 yards. Oh, that was a – we'll dive into it a little bit more as we transition, you know, out of the intro, but that was a lot of different penalties that I wasn't happy about, you know, for a myriad of reasons. I almost wet myself atop the Indiana press box. Now, we've been in some funky spots all year, whether it was being in the the bell tower of Northwestern at Ryan Field, like as they were as we're walking up like 15 flights of stairs and there's every piece of industrial equipment known to be in time next to us. I almost felt like Quasimodo in the hunchback of Notre Dame where like I'm in the bell tower and I'm sort of away from everyone else to against Rutgers. We were outside on kind of the lower bowl, uh, their version of the photo deck area. And then, you know, having to run our ethernet cord through the Rutgers alumni club and they had all their boosters and a bunch of drunk idiots running around. And little Johnny was trying to destroy our equipment. This was different. I mean, we give credit to Indiana. Their athletic department was amazing. We get there. We did. This was probably the first road broadcast all year where we didn't have some sort of technical malfeasance other than Miami, but we were in a, in our own little press box for that just because they're an NFL stadium. And that was the good part was we had the ethernet there and everything was plugged in and we were ready to rock and roll, but we were like atop everything. Like there's like a small railing 
and then like a 200 foot drop. And for someone who's terrified of heights like me, like getting about 15 feet off the ground turns me into a sniveling little girl. And oh man, I got like, and then you get the big gust when I felt like I was going to fall and die. Like I felt like I was going to, you guys were going to have to get the human spatula and pick me up off the ground. Like it will, I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but like we were like right there. And then behind us, there's like another drop. Like, I'm like, where the, like, I got to make sure that I'm not as much of a clumsy idiot as I normally am. Or, you know, I'm uh, going to have a very short life here. Yeah. It was, it was pretty high up and I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of fights either. It didn't bother me as much. What, what did bother me though was um once the sun kind of passed us i i got pretty chilly up there and that uh you know as the writer when i sit with you guys i it's hard enough when i don't have enough space to kind of do my work and i was standing up for a lot of the game and moving around but man it uh that fall weather was really hitting me well and i have to laugh too because we're ready to rock and roll and we got everything plugged in and zach and i are just rolling and through the first quarter i just see him joining every wi-fi network known to mankind from like iu press to this that and the other it's like why won't you work because it's like we're two levels above the yeah. above the thing we always get you know screwed with the with the wi-fi thing because we're not in the main press box with everyone else um just some other miscellaneous stats before we really get into dissecting this game. Michigan State registers three sacks. Jack Tuttle throws two picks, a pick six to Cal Holiday in the first quarter, and then another pick to Darius Snow, which led to another touchdown. Worst take Zach's had all year. Oh, Jack Tuttle was solid. No, Zach, he wasn't. Like, we were debating this the entire way back, and I'm curious to know where you lie in the weeds with this. My thing is... And yes, you have to give credit to Michigan. You have to give credit to that Michigan State defense because they're getting better continually every game. You ask a backup quarterback to run your offense effectively and take care of the ball and give the ball some way to your playmakers and let them make plays in space. Michigan State had 14 points off of turnovers. He had a boneheaded slot route that one of his wideouts ran. Cal Holiday steps right in front of it, reads his keys, reads Tuttle's eyes, takes it to the house. And then, yes, he's got Jacob Slade in his face, but instead of just taking the sack, he throws it off his back foot, and it's a lollipop that lands right in the arms of Darius Snow. So you scored 14 points off of turnovers. 14 of your 20 points came off turnovers. You didn't do much anything with Ty Freifogel, who gave seven catches, 65 yards. How often do you see a guy go 28 for 52 throw the ball over 50 times and only have 188 yards. I don't think he was good at all. Like, I was not impressed. That that was the point I was going to make. The fact that he threw the ball 52 times and that was all he could come up with while, throw, while also throwing two interceptions. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have the experience. The guy came in and played the final two games for Indiana last year, uh, started at quarterback. And, you know, this was obviously a big game against a ranked team. They're still pushing. Well, at that point, they were – they're pushing for a bowl game. We'll see how things end up going for Indiana, but that, you know, on the big stage, he needed to he needed to step up. And I I agree. I don't think he he did as much as he could have. Well, I mean, I mean, and again, it wasn't all his fault. I'm right. not blame. I mean, the, the Indiana's offensive line was especially on the interior. Jacob Panishuk threw seven games now leads 
the country with 45 pressures. Jacob Slade, Michigan State's defensive tackle, who rotates in, mind you, hits six pressures versus Indiana. He was on top of Tuttle when Tuttle threw that second interception to Darius Snow in the second half. But it was a bad, bad miss he had on the pick six throw. And it's not just one play. That gave Michigan State life. You don't make that mistake, you don't. MSU doesn't win that game. So it at the end of the day, um, you know, as we continue to rock and roll here, PFF has Michigan State rated grade-wise. And again, you know, there's some ambiguity with how they grade certain things. And you have outside analysts grading how you play on offense and defense. Michigan State is one of the only teams, they may be the only team in the country that is a top 10 overall offensive team grade and a top 10 overall defensive team grade in the country, and like, that's why I had to laugh when I was, and I, you know, I can't believe I'm going to give this guy airtime, but Braylon Edwards yesterday, oh, I don't know anybody on Michigan State that's good, there are a bunch of no-name saps, and you you wanted Mel Tucker fired last year, and you're calling him racial epithets, and I'm like, what world are you living in? What Michigan State fan wanted him fired after last year? Like, maybe it's just, that was the stupidest thing among a litany of stupid things that he continually spews out of his mouth on a daily basis. But I'm curious that you, you saw that right where he was like, what did you think? Yeah. I mean, I agree. Nobody, nobody wanted Tucker gone last year. I mean, even though, you know, MSU finished with a two and five record, you know, he, he ended the season on a promising note by beating two ranked teams. Um, and including Northwestern, who went on to big win the Big Ten West. I mean, I I think it's just bizarre. And you also obviously have Kenneth Walker, who's in the freaking Heisman race. Talk about nobodies. I I I don't know. I yeah. There's well, my thing was you know, and he he dove a little bit more in on the defensive end. But oh um, yeah, I guess Jacob Panashuk and Xavier Henderson and Jacob Slade and all these other guys who newsflash beat your sorry school last year are no names. And it just, when will the University of Michigan learn that you don't need to give more fire, more you don't need to keep adding fuel to the fire for a rivalry game like this. And, you know, Michigan State's going to have time to relax, time to watch the film, and God knows there's a lot they can improve on, especially on the offensive end after that Indiana victory. It seems like whenever they do this, it blows up in their face and they never learn. And I'm going to be curious to see if that's bulletin board material as we transition into last week, as we transition into next week. On a completely unrelated note, I found like a carton of apple cider in a little staff locker, and I had a cup of it about 15 minutes ago, and I feel like I'm going to explode. Like it didn't taste like, the apple cider didn't taste like it was bad, but I'm starting to wonder if it's bad, but that's what you get when you start drinking mysterious things out of the fridge with no names on it. I saw that in the fridge. Now I'm glad I I thought about grabbing a, a cup. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'll be the I'll be the battering ram and the testing dummy for for that as as usual. But let's get into the Michigan State Indiana game a little bit more. Spartans win twenty to fifteen despite not scoring first. Again, that's the second consecutive week that Michigan State has won a game despite not scoring first before this season. They hadn't won a game and Mel when Mel Tucker's team had it score first that Philly special play was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen for those of you who didn't tune into the game Michigan State's driving 
and they run sort of like this little hybrid reverse play where Kenneth Walker comes in motion, gets the ball, and then tosses it to Tyler Hunt. The Goebbels, Michigan native, I'm saying that even though, you know, I know Zach's not here. I just say it to drive him crazy on our broadcasts. Converted punter, turned tight end, who throws the ball off his back foot because he has pressure on his face. And Peyton Thorne, out of all people, making the catch along that near right sideline in double coverage in a game where you had Jaden Reed drop a wide open touchdown pass in stride and Jalen Naylor drop a couple quick outs and a couple swing passes. That was awesome. Yeah. That was the moment Indiana lost the football game. Yeah, that was a heck of a play. I mean, I told you guys, I think nine out of ten times that play doesn't get converted because just all the factors, the fact that Hunt was throwing off his back, but as he's getting tackled, um, Zach said apparently he he's well, he threw with his right hand and he's left handed. I don't know, at, yeah. I... Um, if that's true, I mean even more impressive and just the catch by Thorne able to stay in bounds that I mean, that was a crazy play. And despite this being such an ugly win, it was still, there were still fun, exciting plays in it that, you know, as a reporter, you like to see, you you want to cover a good game. And like I said, even though it was as ugly as it was, there was still enough to, you know, to have fun watching. And there was, and it... You know, I, I love the defensive play. Like, I love it, the Indiana fan base. Oh, like, this is going to be it. Yep, we're driving in the red zone this time, and it's another three points. Yeah. It's like that South Park meme where it's, and it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? I'm trying to teach my, I'm going to, trying to see, teach my son fiscal responsibility, Randy Marsh, circa 1999. But, again, how Michigan State was only down 9-7 to seven at halftime was beyond me. Your offense took the day off. Cal Holiday has the return for a touchdown, that 30-yard interception return that we've already alluded on. But, oh, man, we I remember going to halftime and telling Zach, it feels like this should be a 21 to nothing game. Indiana has dominated you on both ends of the field. Indiana was moving the ball. Again, we talk about that 20-yard box, or at least I do. From the 20s to the 20s, that's where every team against Michigan State's been able to run and gun, get chunk plays, but when they get within that 15-yard box, magically their feet get stuck in Elmer's glue. So at, at the end of the day, give credit to that MSU defense for doing what it seemingly does all the bloody time. You did it against Nebraska when you forced a couple field goals in the first half, and it finally probably helped you win this game. And you, you did some nice things against Miami. You did some thing, good things against Northwestern and Ben, but don't break and forcing Charlie Kubander to miss a couple field goals. But that was the best game. I think their defense has played bar none. And I'm not sure it's close. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I mean, it had to in order to win this game. And the fact that, you know, going back to your thoughts at halftime, I mean, MSU hadn't crossed midfield going into the half. They only had, what, like two first downs the entire first half? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they didn't cross the 50 in the no, first half, and they no. did it four or five times in the second. So, I mean, defense sure carried the weight when they really needed to. And, you know, looking back, I think um, – because Rutgers wasn't a great performance. We all know that. And this – this past Saturday wasn't a good performance. And I think, you know, this isn't what you want. If you're a Michigan state fan, this isn't what, these aren't the two performances you wanted before the bye week before 
going against Michigan. And, um, but again, the positive thing is that the defense came up big and it's, you know, we've kind of been waiting to see that. Michigan state goes for 241 yards of total offense. That was the lowest mark on the season. Their previous low was 254 yards against Nebraska, only 14 first downs that barely beat the worst mark of the season. They had 12 first downs against the Cornhuskers. Jaden Reed, really the only wide receiver that has somewhat of a noticeable game, kind of a pedestrian day. However, by his standards, four catches, 70 yards. Here's where it comes down for me, and this is where, you know, I think you and I diverge a little bit. I'm happy with the two performances going into the bye week because it's two conference road wins back-to-back. You didn't play particularly well against Rutgers, but you did get the big chunk plays when you had it to. You still beat a Big Ten team on the road by three scores. You would have told me, you know, take everything else, take all the fluff, everything else out, and you would have just given me the result. Okay, you're going to beat Rutgers 31-13 to on the road after beating Western Kentucky in the week before that, being in a gruel grudge match with Nebraska, and then you're going to have to go to Indiana – on a short week, because you know the game ends on Saturday, you got to fly back from New Jersey and then head down to Indiana on Friday, and then Indiana's going to be rested. Indiana's going to be angry. Indiana's going to be right there in terms of knowing they need to win this game to stay to keep their bowl eligibility hopes in a good spear, and it's going to be homecoming, and you're going to find a way to win. I did, I would have taken that, and I like I'm not the, the I, I didn't think going into this year that we would be sitting here saying, oh, man, I don't like how they won on the road versus Indiana. Like, conference road wins are not something that you can just underestimate. It's not easy to do. This team has four wins on the road, and they have seven overall, which to me is, like, obscenely good. You beat Northwestern on the road by 17. You beat Miami on the road by 21, albeit, you know, it wasn't really a 21-point game. MSU really took control of that game in the final eight minutes. But, again... Scoreboard says you won 38 to 17. You went on the road and Rutgers had won by 18. And then it was encouraging for me to see, okay, what happens when one of your units doesn't play well? Can you win on the road in a grudge match? Can you win on the road where your, your defense might, is going to, you know, your defense is going to have to hold another team to under 20 points. And you did. This was the first road win all year where Michigan state, didn't score at least 31 points. So at least for me, I give them flying marks. It wasn't good, but you know, you're not going to win every game by 40. It's just not feasible. And good teams find a way to win when one of their units plays like crap. And when you take Jalen Reed and, or Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor and Kenneth Walker, who didn't have 35 rushing yards at halftime came alive a little bit more in the second half, but like 87 rushing yards for him is not a particularly good day. And then you get Tyler Hunt with the receiving touchdown and you get Tyler Hunt throwing it to Peyton Thorne. You got the playmaking ability from the, those secondary guys that we talked about when you really needed it. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree that yes, they were big wins. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It, it, it definitely helps your case for, you know, being one of the more dominant teams in the East, but I just think, you know, going into this Indiana game, the big talk was can Michigan State play a complete game? And I think a lot of people, including myself, were waiting for Michigan State to play that complete game against Indiana, and it just didn't happen. And I think a lot of it, um, 
A lot of it has to do with penalties, and that was also the the case against Rutgers. Um, it's just been a big issue. I thought for sure that um, that would be cleaned up after Rutgers, but obviously we saw that wasn't the case. And, you know, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot, and they can't do that when they're going to start going up against these more dominant teams. Well, I have to laugh and chuckle, too, because you hear the term complete game. I think it's thrown around a little bit too loosely. There's no such thing as a complete game. Players are always going to find a way to screw something up. You're always going to have a three and out. You're always going to have a personal foul penalty. But the goal, obviously, is to get as close to a complete game as you can. And I agree with you one million percent that these last two games, they haven't they haven't been their best two performances. You were better against Miami, I think. I think you were probably better against Northwestern. And you were clearly better than Western Kentucky, just how you're able to go up and down the field almost at will. Overall, though, the other thing that I took away from this game, and I think it's something that we saw during the Dave Warner area and the Mark D'Antonio era that really set this team back was adjustments. You saw Jay Johnson take the play sheet and the script that he had in the first half, throw it away, and then come out with something completely different in the second half. One of the first plays from scrimmage, what's MSU doing? Play action, bootleg, roll out to the left, Jaden Reed for 20 yards. You're aiming at play two or three times and every time it beat them because those linebackers, Micah McFadden, whatever, are crashing in so far, they're biting so far, because for the first half, all Michigan State was doing, Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker, really wasn't getting anybody else involved, but you made those adjustments. You made Indiana's defense have to go back to their drawing board a little and say, okay, we can't bite down so hard anymore. We can't put eight guys in the box. It wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't some, you know, complete schematic shift, but it was subtle, but it was important, and then, I give Johnson credit. You know, I've been critical of him at various junctures of his play calling tenure here at Michigan State so far. Throw caution to the wind. You would have not seen Dave Warner run that Phillies, but you would have not seen Matt Dotson throwing a pass to Brian Lewerke on the near sideline. And was it weird? Yeah, it was a very weird and odd and use whatever word you want change of events but it was something you had to do I'm happy that the linebacker rotation is now down to two you're not seeing Ben Van Sumer in and uh Mage Ote Ote I know I just shattered that but Ote Ote um you're not seeing them play as much anymore the only area where you're still seeing really a consistent stream of rotation is that offensive line obviously with Blake Buter in at left guard and Luke Campbell in at left tackle and Samak in at center and then Matt Carrick sliding in at right guard while Kevin Jarvis kicks out to right tackle but at the end of the day all things considered there were at least in my opinion there were more good things from that game than bad things yeah and I think once again as it does every week it highlighted um, the weapons that Michigan State has that, you know, the first few weeks we thought, okay, maybe as great as this Kenneth Walker guy is, maybe they're too reliant on him. But then we start seeing Jaden Reed show out. We see Jalen or, um, yeah, Jalen Nato show Trey Mosley before yeah. this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was big in this game, especially when this was, you know, not a poor performance from Walker, but it, you know, it, it wasn't. It was his least uh, inspiring performance. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that's when they, you know, rely on going in the air and they, they certainly have weapons all over the board. So 
you know, once again, that that clearly was a factor. No, and I, you know, I think you hit, I think you hit the nail on the head, and then obviously, Scotty Hazelton went with the old Bill Belichick approach, which basically is, I'm going to take your two offensive players and pretty much render them invalid. Ty Freifogel, the third-team All-American last year, who had seven receiving touchdowns and 700-some-odd receiving yards last year and was fourth in the Big Ten in overall receiving yards, seven catches, 65 yards. Peyton Hendershot, who came into the game, leading the team in receiving yards, three catches for 32 yards. And then, obviously, Jack Tuttle, 28 for 52, 188 yards and two picks. Give credit to Hazleton. I mean, you saw Miles Marshall beat them deep a couple times, but they took those two guys, those two guys that I described in the broadcast as game wreckers, and they really rendered them... I don't want to say useless, but they rendered them invalid for large portions of the game. And then obviously with Indiana losing guys like DJ Matthews Jr., one of their better receivers against, uh, I think he was hurt against Western Kentucky and he's going to be out for the year with some lower leg and ligament injury. Those two guys were non-factors and that's the other reason why I think MSU won this game. Yeah, I'm I'm still concerned uh, with the secondary though. I think too many times this Michigan State team will will stop these offenses at the first two downs and then these third down conversions are just killing them like without those a lot of these games wouldn't be as close as they are and including this game and i think we we have yet to see um you know despite the the two picks and there was decent coverage here and there but i don't know i there's still more i want to see from the secondary and I think they're definitely capable. Well, and I mean, look, Chester Kimbrough and especially Ronald Williams are becoming very good on-man press coverage corners, like man-to-man, where they're they're not playing ten to fifteen yards off the ball and giving you a little bit of a like a little bit of a cushion. You're starting to see is Hazelton's becoming more comfortable, and Harlan Barnett, MSU secondary coach, is becoming more powerful or is becoming more confident in putting them closer to the line of scrimmage, they're becoming more physical. And they had beautiful coverage several different times, several different times down the far sideline or the near sideline. But it was too often wiped away with, oh, we're not playing the ball. A ball's thrown up like Marquis Lowry had good coverage against Ty Freifogel, but he's not even playing the ball. He's just watching him, watching him, watching him, watching him, and then the ball like hits him in the back. And they're going to call that every time because you're not playing the ball, you're playing the receiver. You have to know where the ball is in the air. And then you had... Kimbrough, who got turned around, so he proceeds to just grab a man and throw him to the ground. And that's the one good thing, though, about college football that I think saved Michigan State, and they wouldn't want in this game in the NFL. In college, it's a 15-yard penalty. In the NFL, it's a spot foul penalty. Michigan State was holding these guys and dragging down a lot of those Indiana wideouts 35 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And then, you know... You're like, well, if I don't hold him or I don't interfere with the pass, he's going to get a 35-yard gain. Let me hold him. Let me throw him to the ground. We'll take the 15 yards and regroup. So on that aspect, it was good. They actually teach you to do that if you're beat deep, especially in college. Grab the guy and just move him out of the way. Live to fight another down. But, again, you know, big uh, big shout out to safety Darius Snow and Cal Holiday, both of their first career interceptions. Darius Snow is a guy who I've been high on for a long time just because of his sure-handed tackling ability. I love how he's so versatile. He's good in the slot as a nickel. He's good as sort of a third safety, but man, can he tackle. 
in terms of run support. And then if he's on the other side of the field, he's kind of like Angelo Gross, where he's it's like he shot out of a cannon and it's such a strong downhill corner. He will drag you down despite a guy like Stephen Carter, who's probably 3% body fat and will drag him down from behind. But he's taking, he's starting to really emerge and taking playing time away from Michael Dowell. I said this last week, I'm going to say it this week. This is a good Michigan State football team that I think has the potential to be a great team. They haven't played their best two games the last two games, and you're still 7-0. You beat an Indiana team that was coming and going for broke. Anytime, and this is where I am, anytime you beat a team that has nothing to lose and every game is the Super Bowl for them because they know I lose this game, it's one more dirt over, it's one more shovel of dirt over my coffin in terms of my bowl hopes. I give you credit. You're number nine in the AP poll. All your goals are still right there. It wasn't pretty, but we went in, you and I and then Zach went into Bloomington saying they just need to win. Find a way. Survive in advance. The old NC State model. And you did. You're 7-0. and You stayed in the left-handed side of the win-loss column every game this season. But, with that being said, we're not hanging out at Weenie Hut Juniors anymore. You got four ranked games in the final five games of the season, you know, and I was on the air last week saying I don't think Purdue's going to be a horribly tough game. Purdue just beat Iowa, and Purdue didn't just beat Iowa. They ran them out of town on a rail, winning 24-7. to Now, Purdue seems like they do this every year where they'll beat the team, and they always do it against the number two team in the AP poll, which is even weirder. They did it against Ohio State a couple of years back at Ross Aiden, ran Hassan Haskins off the field, but... That's a better team. That might be the second or third best team in the West, obviously, behind Iowa and then maybe Minnesota and Wisconsin's there in that mix, too. But this is where the season's going to get hard. It starts with Michigan, but then you play Purdue on the road. You probably get, I guess you could say, a little bit of a reprieve at home against Maryland, who's really fallen off a cliff. And then you have the showdown in Columbus, and then you end it with probably a top 10 matchup against Penn State. They're going to have to figure some things out here quickly, though. You play like that against Ohio State, Michigan, whatever, on the offensive end, you're not winning. You're not beating Michigan having 57 total yards of offense in the first half. It's just not going to happen. No, you're, you're not. And, you know, I the more I look at it and the more they keep winning, it's like their schedule is perfectly aligned for them in the fact that, they're, you know, their tougher opponents are at the back end of their schedule and more inferior opponents have been through these first seven weeks. Obviously, there's not all of them have been all that inferior, but just I think they're learning every week. They're improving in different areas every week. And I think it's setting them up for for a promising, you know, stretch going forward in these next few weeks but i don't know i it's almost like you will learn more about this team from a loss which we haven't which we're waiting for um not waiting for but you know what i mean um you know they say that you learn more from from your losses and i think that's that's going to be the case uh, especially if, you know, we we see a ugly performance against Michigan. 
Well, and, uh, you know, you can, again, you can afford to have one of your units not play great against Rutgers or Indiana or Northwestern, and you'll find a way to win, but you're you're going to have to get Jaden Reed, Kenneth Walker, Peyton Thorne back on the right track before Michigan. All three of your units are going to need to play in unison, and you're going to have to have all, all three of them don't have to be exemplary, but they have to be good. You know, you're going to need Matt Coughlin to do what he did with the 51-yard field goal make and the 49-yard field goal make. That's another guy who I've been critical of this entire season just because it seems like from beyond 25 maybe 30 yards he's really struggled all year but boy did he shut me up two big big kicks that first one into the win 51 yards gives Michigan State the 10 to 9 lead I think it was like fourth and four fourth and five in there at like what the Indiana's 34 yard line thinking just go for it Jay just go for it like you know with the way Matt's played this year he's an accurate kicker but he doesn't have all he doesn't have a booming leg like Quinn Nord, he's the absolute antithesis of Quinn Nordine, who, you know, Michigan's former kicker, who could kick a ball 80 yards on a line, but it was always like trying to, it was never where you needed to go. It'd be 50 yards this way, 50 yards this way. It was never right down the middle, but, you know, he had a sensational game. We saw Bryce Berenger have a couple of good points, but we also saw Michigan State special teams unit have two illegal formation penalties on two consecutive drives. And those are the things that you have to clean up, and I think they will. And it's it's encouraging for someone like me who, you know, I is an avid Twitter user. You scroll on MSU's football Facebook page, or on their football Twitter page, and they're practicing this week. I thought they would give the guys a couple days to go home, relax. You're 7-0. and We got a big, brutal stretch coming up. They're out there. They're not in full pads. They're not doing Oklahoma drills or anything like that, but they are there. They're over it. Duffy Darty hitting each other in shells and in shorts and helmets. And you take this work, you take this week to really work on your technique. You know, you can get an early head start film wise on Michigan, but I'm excited. Like, just as a student, this year has the potential to be something really, really special. Yeah, it does. It, it is extremely exciting and this game in particular is it's going to be hectic it's it's going to be it's going to be a great time to be on uh the campus of michigan state but um yeah i it, i've already had a blast uh covering this team and you know i definitely think that there's a lot more good uh in store for them well and you know it it helps because the game's going to be in East Lansing for the first time and seemingly for forever. And, of course, we'll talk more about, you know, MSU Michigan next week. You know, we're just going to have a little bit of a smaller episode here today with Zach gone and with Michigan State not playing. But this is the first time since 1964 these two teams have been rated in the top ten. And traditionally speaking... When you go back and look at the history over the last 50 years, when Michigan has been ranked and when Michigan State has been ranked, MSU wins. Just historically, whenever Harbaugh has been able to beat MSU, it's been because MSU stinks. The three and nine year. You didn't even beat them, you know, you didn't even beat them last year. And that was probably one of the worst Michigan State teams over the past three decades. Or the year when it was a struggle and you were in the Red Box Bowl and everything like that. Other than Whenever MSU, when Michigan was good and when Michigan State was good, 
like that 2015 2016 season or I guess in 16 they weren't good but like I'm, I'm thinking like 2015 specifically um newsflash mark one and Harbaugh has not really been able to beat Michigan State when Michigan State is good and this Michigan State team you know at least by what their record is, you know, for whoever came up with the saying, you are what your record says you are, I would think Michigan State's pretty damn good through through seven weeks. Just some uh, miscellaneous Big Ten scores for all those of you who may have not been able to catch up with the action last week. Wisconsin beats Army 20-14. to Purdue beats Iowa at Kinnick 24-7. Minnesota beats Nebraska 30-23 to in what is a bad loss for Scott Frost. He's... Floating on a razor's edge right now. As my dad would say, he's got one foot on a banana peel and the other in the grave. And Northwestern leading Rutgers 21, beats Rutgers 21-7. And Rutgers is now floating on a razor's edge for bowl eligibility hopes after starting 3-0. You can kind of excuse losing to Ohio State and losing to MSU and losing to Michigan on the road. That's a game you can't lose. Not if you want to make a bowl game, it's not. Like, I saw that and was just mildly depressed because it's like, oh, we're doing this again. Like, you feel so bad for a fan base that is just a little bit of hope. Where You know, we were coming off a three and six year, which for Rutgers is good. You had three road wins um, a year ago, and then everything kind of turns to crap. Like, you know, not, not sure what's going on with Greg Schiano down in Piscataway, but we transitioned to the best section and my favorite section I think of the show on a weekly basis the SRZ offensive defensive and Joey Ellis Memorial powerhouse frame unit of the week selections I'll go first and I'm going to pick Matt Coglin for the Antoine Randall L offensive player of the week and I only picked Antoine Randall L because as they were scrolling through like Indiana's all-time receiving yards leaders on the on the scoreboard in the south end zone I'm looking I'm like wait Antoine Randall L played here like oh yeah he did I completely forgot you know pride to it was a pride of Pittsburgh for a long time and I obviously I'm gonna go with Matt Coglin just because I'm a big man I can admit when I bleeped up and I have lambasted this guy and said you know he's got to get it figured out sooner rather than later you're a grad student you're now the program's all-time leading leader in field goal kicks with 74 he's now only four kicks behind the all-time Big Ten record. Penn State had a kicker 15 years back that had 78. So by the time it's all said and done here in the 2021 season, it's done. Matt Coglin will most likely be the Big Ten's all-time leader in field goal kicks. He only needs four more. But that 51-yarder and that 49-yarder were big time. And if he doesn't make one of those, or if he obviously if he doesn't make either one of those, MSU doesn't win. But... That first drive of the second half, you have a little bit of offensive momentum going. You shoot yourself in the foot. You go backwards on third down, and then, you know, Peyton Thorne keeps it on the QB keeper, on the QB draw play, and you make the 51-yarder into the wind. You take the lead. And that was a huge, huge, huge burst of momentum for Michigan State. You had a little bit of offensive success, and you needed three. And you were at a point in that game where points were going to be at a premium. You had to find a way to get something. And then after Indiana scores, they don't make the two-point conversion, but they make it 17-15, to 15, you drive down the field again, and you take four minutes off the clock, you get your offense in a bit of a rhythm, and then you make a 49-yarder. And it went from a two-point game to a five-point game, and then, you know, you leave it to Michigan State, Steve. You didn't want to go three and out. You are able to ride the ship a little bit, give your defense time to catch their breaths, get some water, increase that lead where Indiana would need a touchdown to take the lead back. Um, 
he played well, and that 51-yarder actually tied a career high that he made last year against Michigan in that 27-24 win in a game which the Spartans came in as 24-point underdogs. But, um, you know, I'm curious to see who you have, Aiden. Well, I just wanted to say one more thing about Coughlin is um, I'm interested to see – there's bound to be a game where there's there's going to be a, a field goal that uh, – I'm sorry. There's going to be a moment – when Coughlin has to come up big with a late game field goal. And I'm interested to see how the pressure um, kind of affects him. I was going to say like Nebraska. I mean, I know it was a 21 yard chip shot, but you made that to, yeah. to win the game. You had, um, I'm not saying he's not capable. I am. I'm, I'm no, just, no, I, I, I know what you mean. To see. Um, my offensive player of the week is LSU's running back, Ty Davis price. He had a freaking day and there went over florida 287 rushing yards and three touchdowns and he also um he set a lsu single game rushing record not um, enough to save coach o's job apparently <laughs> however like i i have no and we'll get into that a little bit later aiden wanted me to add that segment because i think you know i'm going to thoroughly address the mel tucker to lsu rumors but we are going to the SRZ No Technical Issues Defensive Player of the Week, and I'm going with Darius Snow. Again, not just because he had that first interception, which really helped to destroy and quell any offensive momentum that Indiana had up to that point in the second half, but this guy is just a machine in terms of what he's been doing to get on the field. Michigan State's secondary is quite vaunted. You got Marquis Lowry break. You have Xavier Henderson, who's playing like an all-Big Ten first-team selection. Michael Dowell is a good player. Michael Dowell is a good nickelback, and Darius Snow is outplaying him right now. And for a guy who's been so good in the run game and who's been so good at just making the gritty plays, the plays that don't necessarily show up in the box score, it was nice to see him do something flashy. It was nice to finally see him get rewarded for all the hard work that he's put in. And we talked to him a little bit after the game, and he's such a nice guy and so down to earth and was a higher three-star recruit that Michigan State was able to get a couple of years back, but it felt like a game where perhaps he could take off for the rest of the year because he's good for seven, eight tackles a game, but what he's not been able to do as much is get the interceptions, give Michigan State's offense the ball back. Actually, that whole defense, frankly, hasn't been able to do that before that Indiana game. MSC only had two interceptions through the first six games. He had the, obviously, the interception by Ronald Williams to pick off De'Eric King in the fourth quarter against Miami, which helped to seal that win, and then Chester Kimbrough's interception off Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez, which he almost returned to the house, and then, you know, MSU, obviously, with the big Kenneth Walker Wildcat run, leads to the Matt Coughlin 21-yard field goal to win that game at home. I I, I just loved the the grit that he has, and I think he's going to be a huge, huge part of what Michigan State is as a defense going forward, not just this year, but in future seasons. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, my pick is North Carolina linebacker Cedric Gray. He had six tackles and two interceptions, uh, and and North Carolina's went over in Miami. It's also a um, he was an ACC uh, defensive player of the week. So kudos to him and for his outing against Miami. It's like the most North Carolina win. However, when you win a game like forty-five to forty-two and Miami's on their second string quarterback and they still score 42 points, but inexplicably can't find a way to win. Manny Diaz ain't making it through this year. I, t- I will tell you that right now. I was surprised he didn't get the boot after year one and 
against Miami, you know, for those of you who have listened to the podcast, I, you know, went back with that week three and said, oh, you lost to Florida International and you lost to Duke. Well, guess what, man? You're two and four now. You are floating on a razor's edge and you still got to go to NC State this week and you had a couple other games. Not sure you're making a bowl game. And if he doesn't make a bowl game, he is not going to have his job for much longer. The SRZ Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week. I put, we're going to Andy in all caps. And I will tell you, this is the most obscure thing that I could think of. There was a old Carolina Panthers announcer by the name of Bill Rosinski way back when. And back when I actually had faith in Carolina and they were 3-0. It's, it's so, it seems so long ago. I know it was only four weeks ago, but... Way back in 1996, when Carolina beat Dallas and Troy Aikman to go to the um in the NFC Championship before losing to Brett Favre, there's him on the radio call that says, we're going to Green Bay. We're going to the frozen tundra next week to take on Green Bay for the NFC crown. Like, that's literally what I'm going to do if they beat Michigan. Or, you know, it's like, where ain't no, we're going to Indy, we're going to Indy, but first we got to go down to West Lafayette. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. I'm starting to get maybe a little bit more excited than I should because every gate, every team that I've ever covered for the station has been complete crap from softball. I have no idea how Jackie Joseph's still employed, but that's an argument for another day to women's basketball. They went nine and nine and that was during the COVID year. Um, you know, even though nobody, they canceled the NCAA double a tournament that year they were headed for the nit after getting bounced out in the first round of the big 10 women's tournament to purdue they were nine and nine which anyone who knows anything about msu women's basketball would tell you that's a down year for them they're traditionally one of the better teams in the big 10 Susie merchant has a winning percentage in big 10 play of over 60 percent since she got hired in her what is now her 15th season at michigan state but you know it's exciting it really is like i i hope like that final week against Penn State, like 11-0 Michigan State, or yeah, I guess it would be 11-0 versus, um, you know, I don't know, 9-2 and Penn State, Michigan State wins, and 7-6, we're going to Indy, we're going to take on Iowa for a chance to go, you know, either, or like or something like, like I, I, I'm actively preparing this. Like if they win one of these big games and it's like, we're going to the Valley of the Roses, we're going to Pasadena, like, oh man, I would... I would, I could die right there, a very, very happy man. So, yeah, I, uh, I'll throw it over to you, Aiden. I know it's hard to top that, but still. <laughs> uh, gosh, I, you know, I was thinking about this on the ride over here, and I thought, God, I'm gonna sound like my dad. Uh, <laughs> my pick is the fall weather. It's these past couple of days has just been gorgeous, um, and I love, I just love fall. Uh, I love the all the colors, especially on Michigan State's campus. It just puts me in such a good mood. And you know, Halloween's coming up. I know Stearns here tell me you don't. Oh you're no, not I really went on, with all the hype. No, I went on SRZ or not on SRZ. I went on Green and White and said I thought it was overrated because it is. It's I don't know. It it's you know, oh apple cider, which you know is giving me horrible horrible gut pains right now. Or flannels and full weather and hair right it's like yeah it's good but it's like the same thing with christmas like you know i i don't know i feel like once you're 50 and you've heard walking around the christmas tree every year ad nauseum from the time you were five it gets to be a little old like you know i don't know i'm, I'm not i'm just not a very nostalgic nostalgic human being but you know that's also how like my dad is like hey dad you like you like the fall weather why i can't work anyway it sucks I want a burger, damn it! You know, so 
Anyway, transitioning from that beautiful segment of God knows whatever of skullduggery bleepery to this week in the Big Ten, Michigan or Michigan hosts Northwestern, Illinois travels to Penn State, Wisconsin travels to Purdue, Maryland travels to Minnesota, and Ohio State on what is the primetime game of the week at 7.30 goes to Indiana. That kind of tells you how good or not games are this week, and I think you guys can tell by the inflection in my voice that most of the games this week are complete diddly-poo. Michigan State, Iowa, Rutgers, and Nebraska getting their by weekend now we get to the part of the program where nathan tries to not to lose his little mind there has been rumors by several credible journalists surprisingly enough about mel tucker possibly ditching michigan state to go to lsu a la nick saban 25 years ago i think it's bull crap i don't think there's any fluff to it i don't think there's any sentiment i mean Sure, some of the reports have said, oh, well, there's some high-ranking LSU admin officials who are interested in him and who would be interested in talking to him. Guys, interest is a two-way street. Until you hear anything that says Mel Tucker is interested in that job, he's curious, he's just you know, he's checking it out, I don't think there's any reason to um, get upset at all. And I don't the the how do i put this the gap from colorado to michigan state to michigan state to lsu is much less lsu is still one of the best jobs in college football don't get me wrong mel's also the 13th highest paid coach in division one mel has just uprooted his family from colorado to michigan state do i think he would do that again having a couple high school kids no i don't do i think that for a guy who's getting a new athletic building who has a really strong alumni base when you have Dan Gilbert and Matt Ishbia and Eli Broad and, you know, the new president of Disney. Like, you got some guys at Michigan State who can help you out. Like, every really good college football school has alumni, has boosters, has donors with really deep pockets who can help to fund some of these things. And you're getting a new football building. You run the program. You have a great deal of stability. You don't win a title in two years at LSU, people are going to be calling for your job. You go six and six year one, people are going to want you gone. You could win nine, ten games here. And first of all, it's easier to win in the Big Ten than it is in the SEC. Let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. You can win nine games here a year and you could you could be here at Michigan State until you retire. And I get sick and tired of hearing about how, oh, this is a stepping stone job. This is a gateway. A gateway to what? Mark went from Cincinnati to here. Where, where did he go after that? Right. To to his golf house in Putacana. I mean, MSU is one of the 15, 20 best jobs in college football. Michigan State, you know, people need to stop thinking of Michigan State as, oh, it's a job that you go if, you know, it's on the same level of Coastal Carolina. I mean, the program's won three Big Ten titles and a Rose Bowl and a Cotton Bowl and is six national championships and four Rose Bowl victories in its history. It's a damn good football school. I mean, no, it's not quite on the same level as LSU and, you know, the facilities can't compete, but I think the security, I think the fact that Mel Tucker's the unofficial athletic director right now, I, you know, you got your guy in there, him and Alan Holler from everything we've heard have an exceptional relationship. I think it's much ado about nothing. And I think it's just people trying to fill in airtime. You know, it's another one of those stupid things that leads up to the Michigan, Michigan state game. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I also think, I think Mel's, trying to build something here and I think you know he's one of the best recruiters in the nation and I think you know every decision he's making in terms of recruiting has a purpose and I think 
he really is thinking long term with the with his role here at Michigan State and you know I I don't think he's going to cut it short now so um you know I and again everything you said spot on I I just don't see it happening well I think you're going to have to really wait and see where this team goes I think you know, Michigan State's the hot new toy and the hot new commodity when you're a top 10 team and you go from 2-5 and five to 7-0. and oh, And when Mel Tucker gets named by the AP as the Big Ten midseason coach of the year, you lose these games and before you know it, you're 7-3, and 7-4, and four, you're floating on a razor's edge and you're not so sweet anymore. And the rumors are really going to die down, I think. You know, it's just right now people are a little too excited. They're a little too... I don't want to say optimistic, but get around Michigan, get around Pitt. Like if he goes 12 and 0 and they go to Indy, okay, then we can have that talk. Cause that'd be one of the most improbable runs in college football history. So for our final segment here today, we're not even going to do the pick um just because I don't want, because I really don't want to. I didn't want to do the research and I accidentally deleted all the games from last week. So I'm going to have to go back and See if I know I had another horrible week. I think I was like two and four, so that put me at seventeen and twenty-four because I stink. Um, the thing that this bye week not j- doesn't even allow you know the players to do, but allows us to do catch our breath a little bit. But we also get to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. Is someone who's you know started to write a little bit more about football recruiting, and you know we, we used to never really do that at the station, and you know from writing press be- briefs to learning a little bit more about these guys. Um, I think Michigan State's recruiting class outside of the East Lansing Spear is floating under the radar a little bit. Michigan State right now has the 17th ranked recruiting class in the country. 17th, that's one of the best marks in school history. You got Dylan Tatum, who was supposed to go to Michigan. You hired Ron Bellamy. He, uh, Excuse me, um, Dylan Tatum is a West Bloomfield product. Ron Bellamy, who was Dylan Tatum's head coach at high school for the first couple of years that Tatum was there. They hire him as safety's coach and he still goes to Michigan state. And he had been projected to go to Michigan the entire time. Alex Van Sumeren. Yes. The, the younger brother of current Michigan state linebacker, Ben Van Sumeren, who's also a Michigan football player goes from being a Michigan commit to decommitting to go to going to Michigan state. Mel isn't just snatching guys from the state. He's snatching them right from the jaws of Michigan football. And this is the line for me that, that that I just have to chuckle about. Michigan's recruiting class is 16th in the country right now. MSU is 17th in the country. Does it does it bother you a little bit, Michigan fans, that in year two, Mel's on the same recruiting playing field, at least with this class, that you are in, in year seven? Does it bother you that in year two he's 7-0 and and that he's led Michigan State to a top 10 ranking? That's despite not having the same recruiting platform, not having the same overall, you know, Michigan State doesn't have the same distinction as Michigan does. Does it bother you a little bit at all that he's gotten the third overall recruit in the state in Alex Van Sumeren, the sixth overall recruit in Dylan Tatum, the eighth overall recruit in in Jaden Mangum, and the ninth overall recruit in Antonio Gates? Does it bother you that he has more uh, more four-stars in this class than you do Michigan State with five four-stars? Michigan with only two. Like, if that was me, that'd bother me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they certainly would never admit it, but I, I would, I'd be bothered too. And I think, um, you know, going forward in these next few years, I don't know. This is why next week has as much of an impact as it does, not just, you know, 
on this college football season, but I think it will ultimately have an effect on the recruiting race. And, you know, I think recruits are going to look at it and say, okay, they've, these guys have beaten Michigan two years in a row. If, if they are to win next week or, uh, in two weeks, but, um, and I think they're going to kind of be swayed by the fact that, okay, maybe this, this program is turning around and they're the, they're the school you want to go to in the state of Michigan. So there's, there's a lot on the line here. And right now Mel's kind of winning the race. He is. And I think at least for me, this game is more about the big Ten East. This game is more about a path to Indy. This game is more about the difference between the peach bowl and the citrus bowl. This game is about winning the state of Michigan because you have two guys right now going after the same kids in the same areas, whether it's Detroit, Flint, Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, whatever it may be, Belleville especially, they're both saying we can win, we can win, we can win, we can win, yada, yada, yada. There's a difference between saying we can win behind a closed door in the offseason than actually winning. Mel Tucker has gotten guys, but told the not only the transfers, but the recruits, we're going to win something this year. You may not hear it much in the media. You may not hear it much by a lot of social circles, but we're going to find a way to surprise some people this year. And you come here and you're going to be part of something special. You're going to be part of a program that has a better history than Michigan in the last 15 years of doing something. You're going to be part of a program that within the last 10 years has won three Big Ten championships, won a Rose Bowl, gone to the Cotton Bowl, had God knows how many 10, 11 win seasons. You're going to be part of a program where we have a quarterback. We have a brand new football building. We have, we're, we're reinventing. We're giving what Michigan state football used to be a new facelift in terms of how we recruit, how we do things more of a modern approach, bringing you into the 21st century. And I just, I remember when they got Tatum and they got Van Sumer and it's like, what is going on? Like Tatum was against, was like from wire to wire, was supposed to be a Michigan commit. But at the last moment, I don't know what Mel said, but he flips. And even a guy like Jaden Mangum, who Michigan wasn't quite as high on, he had been projected to go to West Virginia forever. And a day before he commits, he visits, goes to the Spartan dog com thing over at Spartan Stadium, postpones his commitment, then a week later commits to MSU. Like, he's getting guys from West Virginia, from Michigan, from, I mean, Alex Van Sumeren had an offer from every big school and every good Power 5 school in the country, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, you name it, he had it. So, you know, and then not only... That, but you hired Thomas Wilcher, you know, is that, I don't know what his official title is. He's basically like an off-the-field recruiting analyst and this, that, and the other. That helps you really sort of narrow your way into Detroit, Cast Tech, where Michigan has traditionally dominated with Mike Onwenu and Donovan Peoples-Jones and LaVert Hill and a bunch of other guys. You already got Brendan Parachek, the tight end from Dexter, a good-sized school in Washtenaw County, the 6'6", 250-pound tight end. I've seen him play a couple times just by virtue of going to Celine. Kid's a playmaker. He's a top-ten recruit in the state of Michigan. His teammate, Cole Cabana, who just visited here. That's such a nice name, by the way. Cole Cabana. Like, that's, that'd be like a nice like Beach Boys like album thing. But anyway, I digress. He's projected right now by every major recruiting site, Rivals, 247, ESPN, to choose Michigan State. He's a top-ten recruit in, this, in the state for the class of 2023. So I think you win this, and I think the state could turn green for a long time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think another 
big factor in in this is the fact that Mel can say, hey, you look at these guys both on offense and defense and how many weapons we have and how, you know, despite having Kenneth Walker, who's a Heisman candidate, you've got all these other players that are are making headlines in the nation. And, you know, I think these players, they're not going to get that at Michigan. I think, you know, they're not going to have the same rules that they are at Michigan State. And I don't know what that that says about uh, Michigan, but, you know, that's I think that's a huge factor in this. Well, and I agree with you, and I think, you know, it's it, it just comes down to Mel's real with people. He's real with us, the media. He's real with his players. He's real with his assistant coaches, and he's real with recruits. And people respect that. Like, tell me what you like about me, but don't sugarcoat it. I think that's what gets Harbaugh in trouble is you go to every big five-star recruit and you basically get down on your hands and your knees and start worshiping the kid. Oh, please come here. Please come here, J.J. McCarthy. We love you so much. I swear to God, you can have any girl you want if you commit to the University of Michigan and we'll give you $500,000. Just don't tell the NCAA. You know, Ed Martin's, we, we got Ed Martin's son doing the same thing that his dad did. Um, You know, it, it, but Mel's not like that. And he's he's gone out of his way, like unprompted, to say we don't promise recruits playing time. We didn't we, like he didn't go to Temple and tell Anthony Russo, "Yup, you play, you commit here, you transfer here, you're going to be our starting our starting quarterback week one against Northwestern." Players like that. Players like the fact that you're real with them. You know, outline it for me. Give me the scenario. Tell me what your program's about. Tell me, you know, how Mel. As Mel would say, how I can teach, motivate, and develop you. You know, that's one of his favorite phrases along neutral and meat and potatoes, not a lot of French pastry and all that other stuff. Um, recruits like that, and I think you're really starting to see the slow but changing tide. Jeremiah Caldwell, a name that I think our viewers should be well-advised to listen to. He is a high three-star recruit at Belleville, plays a lot of different spots on the defensive side. He was a Tennessee commit. No, I'm I beg your pardon, he was a Kentucky commit, decommitted, and now it's between Michigan State, Tennessee. He's the 11th overall player in the class of 2022, and there's a decent shot that he ends up committing here. They talked to, I think it was Live that talked to him a couple weeks ago. He said, you know what? I'm really starting to notice Michigan State because the proof is in the pudding. They told me in the offseason they were going to win some games, and I admittedly wasn't sure you're coming off a 2-5 and five year. There's a lot of question marks. I don't know who's going to be your quarterback, who's going to be your running back. How are all these transfers with all these new moving parts, how are they going to gel? You wake up and it's October fifteenth, and you're six and zero. You wake up and it's October seventeenth, you're seven and zero. So the proof is in the pudding, and it's starting to really register with these in-state recruits. Another guy, Keontae Goodwin, high, high four-star offensive tackle, really should be a five-star. He's taking an unofficial visit here in a couple of weeks to East Lansing. He's committed to Kentucky. Not sure that Kentucky's going to hold on to him. Like if I had a four-star recruit visiting a seven and zero, eight and zero football team. I would be sweating bullets because obviously, you know, you don't see Dylan Tatum and Alex Van Sumer and all these other guys still taking visits. They committed to Michigan State and that's kind of been it. You know, they're not still traveling around the U.S. trying to figure it out. So obviously there's still some uncertainty over, you know, where Keontae Goodwin's going to go. And, you know, Kentucky's probably going to have to put on the full court press and they might end up keeping him. But you're finally sitting at the big boy table. You're finally getting into the 21st century and not trying to win by recruiting people in the backwoods of Ohio and in, you know, God knows wherever in the panhandle of Texas and everything else. So 
I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged where this program is going forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, as you said, a big part of it is Mel just being straight up with these recruits um, and also being able to follow through on these on these guarantees. Mel knows what he's got. And, you know, that's that's a big part of it is honesty. And I, you're right. I think I think a lot of the players respect that. Well, I have to be honest with our viewers and say that my gut right now is having a fight with my colon, so I think we're about ready to sign off here. You got anything else, partner? Nope, I do not. We will be back next week with our regular length episodes. Exert Nick should be back in the saddle. We are going to take a little bit of a break. Out of mid-fall break, I can finally go home, relax for a little bit. I uh, got some work I got to do in Ann Arbor, but it's going to be so much fun to just slow down before, you know, Crap hits the fan, so to speak, for the final five weeks of the year. Having Michigan will be on the photo deck and then going to Purdue, home against Maryland, then, you know, at Ohio State and at Penn State, or home against Penn State for the final game of the year. So for uh, myself, Nathan Stearns, Aiden Champion, thank you guys for tuning into this little mini episode of SRZ. I like saying mini, even though it's still an hour long, and it's longer than a lot of the other podcasts we do, like Behind the Mask and to Martin download and everything, but we'll talk to you next week. Thank you guys for tuning in and have a good rest of your week.